Hello everybody, welcome to episode 119 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. Rod Murray's my name, you can take your pick of what matters right now, Mickelson, Norman, MIV, the Saudis, the ball going too far, TV ratings falling on the professional golf scene, what is to become of us all? Let's see if we can make some sense out of it. Uh, bring in two of the smartest minds in the game to see what they think about it. Start with blogger, author, commentator, critic, Jeff Shackelford. Jeff, looking forward to the catch-up. The pre-show chat has been very lively, so let's hope we can carry that on yeah, into the show. Just try to keep it lively because it's so bright and early there. Well, it's not even bright, is it? It's just dark and early there. Yeah. <laughs> bright does not describe what's going on anywhere. We are actually in the middle of Armageddon at the moment, Jeff. Uh, we've had the fires. We've had the pestilence with the disease. Now we've got the floods. Uh, Australia is floating away. So from further south than we normally find in Fellow author, commentator, player, course architect Mike Clayton, on site almost at Seven Mile Beach, so leaving to go on site in about the next hour. Uh, in Tassie, Clayton's exciting times down there, about the only bright spot in the world at the moment. Russia invading Ukraine, golf falling apart at the top level. At least we've got Seven Mile Beach to look forward to. Yeah, it's um, going well, really. We're kind of pushing sand around and creating some holes amongst the random dunes that are too random not to move sand around, but uh, it's looking good, really. So we'll, we'll we'll see what happens when it's finished. And burning big piles of timber at night. <laughs> yeah, we can we can burn the two hundred and fifty piles of pine trees at after, between eleven o'clock at night and four in the morning. So, so. And you know that golfers in ten years will stand in the middle of the third fairway, and all other things. Why the hell did they put that bunker there? No idea of the pain that you're going through in the meantime just to get the yeah, site cleared yeah. and ready for golf. We're all guilty of it. Shaq, where are we going to start? What are we going to talk? You've been hobnobbing with the with golf royalty, haven't you, in the, in uh, the administrative sense? Do you want to talk about that? Where do you want to go? Do you want to talk about Mickelson and Norman, or is that done for the moment? I don't think it's over. but Oh, it's no, it's not over. Uh, yeah, no, it was a great week at Riviera, and we had uh – uh, everybody and their their brother uh, either making an appearance or quietly making an appearance because they were doing meetings and dealing with this uh, situation uh, with uh, the, the 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 Saudi tour and uh, Tiger's event and Great Field and all that stuff. So yeah, it was a, a quite a collection. It was almost like a major championship, and uh, all the people who who turned up to deal with the the business side of the game. It's pretty orchestrated, wasn't it? Shaq had seemed like a fairly concerted and orchestrated push from the tour. They had pl- you know, strategic players going out and saying things. You had the Johnson and DeChambeau announcement all, all right around that time. It, was all, it felt like it had been uh, f- unusually sort of well mapped out, perhaps. No, I mean, I, some of it was. Uh, and I, I had a real problem with them releasing that statement from Dustin Johnson on Sunday morning of the tournament. Imagine if somebody released news on Sunday morning of the players, they'd lose their minds. I thought that was that was lame, but I get it. It's a big deal for them. It's the uh, biggest threat the Tours faced, and they were enjoying, I think, the snowballing effect of players uh, announcing their allegiance to the PGA Tour, and I get it. They, they were excited, but it could have waited another day because then it ended up all of Sunday morning instead of focusing on the tournament. People were talking about that, and, and that's something they should should avoid. Um, so yeah, it was a, uh, a lively week for sure. I did not anticipate working that much on non-tournament things. I didn't get to go watch a few players. I just wanted to go watch and that I'd heard about, um, because we kind of got caught up in all this and, uh, but it was stunning how it went from, from this, uh, this, this tour, this league concept and a lot of players apparently committed or close to committing to, uh, I think the thing being really hard to imagine how it recovers from, 
everything that's that's occurred, um, unless you're you want to watch, as Rory put it, uh, a pre-champions tour tour. In the short term, Shaq. If you got yeah, a, if, you, yeah. if you got a one and a half billion to spend, you don't need to spend it all in twenty twenty two, do you? You can build something should you want to. Well, and I wrote about this in the newsletter. It's not just the Saudis. There's still, you know, Mark Cannizzaro had an exclusive on on um, Sunday night of the tournament mm-hmm. about another uh, effort to pitch something to the tour. And right now, there's just uh, so much money and people with money and people with money who look at. Um, they look at golf. They like golf, and they think it's they've 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 you know the the various concepts have convinced them that this is a undervalued asset. Uh, I don't know if that's the case or not, but that's how they view it. Uh, I heard more times than I care to hear, hear uh, players during the week say the top guys are underpaid. That it's become a mantra, and it just keeps getting repeated. Uh, and I don't I don't know if I agree with that. If you look at the if you look at the numbers, I think they're getting paid about probably what they deserve to be paid. Uh, so anyway, that's a whole other show for another day, but uh, and not our concern. It's at the so, heart of the it, problem, though, isn't it, Shank? Isn't that at the heart of this whole thing? The only reason that Norman and Co could have got any traction at all in the first place is because some of them, at least, and Mickelson's the obvious one, must believe that they are underpaid in some way. Yes, that is correct, and 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 there is a way. They're potentially underpaid if you you look at the uh, the franchise concept and uh, certain people like Phil and Tiger who mostly Tiger but but both of them who brought a certain something to the tour and 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 yeah maybe they uh, didn't make what athletes who've done similar things for their sport have done but uh, yeah so that mindset will continue they've convinced themselves that's the case. Um, but I don't know if there's a business model that really gives them what they want and uh, satisfies a bunch of other things. So I think at the moment it's a uh, it's it's going to slow down. But I I do believe there are more entities out there and yeah. with silly hedge fund money and and that are not connected to the Saudis who will also try to push this because they see two things: they see the gambling revenue they think will come, and they see this franchise concept. Uh, and all the benefits that come with that in terms of tax breaks and, and other things and uh, value creation and on and on. Are they underpaid, Rod, relative to big sports in America? No. Or are they underpaid no. relative to tennis players? And- no, they're, they're, they're paid relative to the job that they have, which is to be an independent contractor, play where you want, when you want. See, they like to complain that, oh, you know, Tom Brady gets this for playing. Yes, yeah. and, Tom, and Tom Brady's employed. And Tom Brady turns up to training, and he goes and does what he's told to do by the team management, etc., etc. They don't do any of those things, and they also play well into should they choose they're fifty. Bernard Langer's still winning at the age of sixty-four. I don't think they're underpaid in that sense. I think they've also got a whole lot more off-course opportunities than the likes yeah. of, I imagine, Jack, than the likes of Tom Brady. There are things that Tom Brady just can't endorse, no matter how much money they offer him, because it would conflict with either the NFL or the team that he plays. I only know Tom Brady's name, I don't know anything else about him, clearly. So the, there's a lack of recognition of the symbiotic nature of the relationship between the player and the tour, I think. It, it, it's, it's incorrect to think of the PGA Tour as the NFL. That's the basic problem with that yeah. comparison. Well, they're certainly, not, they're certainly not underpaid relative to 
tennis players who are much more poorly played over the over the top 125, perhaps yeah. not the top three or four players, yeah. but you know, tennis is much more poorly organised in terms of how well the players are played compared with golf. You know. And I know it's just optics. It is true. It's just optics, but they're not poorly paid compared to normal people who work for a living either. And they, they need to be careful about the optics yeah. of claiming being underpaid. What, what's Mickelson at? $95 million on course earnings, which wouldn't be a scratch of what he's made over time. Uh, it, it can stick in the throat of a lot of people that somebody like that could be claiming to have been underpaid for essentially being childish about hitting a, a little white ball around a field. And I think, I don't know, Jeff, I wonder about this. This is a bit of a rabbit hole. Does this Russia-Ukraine thing put any of this into perspective for people, including those who are caught up in the business like us and we think all of this stuff's really important as we talk about it and suddenly one day you wake up and go, actually, you know what, this is really all just nonsense compared to the reality of life. I wonder whether that has an impact on some of this stuff and the way we think about it. It may. I think the pandemic does too. I, I you know, just just kind of picking up comments from people. It seems like a lot of people found all this discussion uh, very unseemly, and uh, even the players who were on the and I wrote about this. Uh, even the ones who were sort of in theory on the right side, uh, the fact that they were being put out there to talk, keep talking about money, uh, it didn't help them either. And it's sort of why I was, I've been shocked that, that Keith Pelly and Jay Monahan haven't been out front more, taking more bullets. Uh, so that a Rory McIlroy doesn't get caught up in this, or uh, whoever, or Brooks Kepka, and uh, who's kind of taken a stand, and uh, I think the damage uh, is 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 significant. It, it's definitely hard to measure. I, I'm sure they have meltwater mentions or whatever they do to <laughs> figure that out, but. It just seems like there's been so much, to, and I wrote a piece last year about this. That the danger of this war was that that it would just be viewed as this, combined with the betting talk, that it's just this transactional sport, and they could care less about uh, the fan. And we haven't heard much about the fan. We don't see them doing much to to make it fan friendly. Uh, certain tournaments are trying to do things, but. Yeah, at some point, it just has to kind of turn you off to the sport. And again, I don't know how you measure that, but I, I feel like the pandemic, even more than the mm. than the uh, the current uh, war situation, probably has made people uh, less forgiving of of all this uh, chatter. Didn't Rory prove himself once again to be <laughs> what a great boy? That great quote is, you know, for all the money and everything, I still need to use the same three or four rooms in my house, which put it into lovely perspective yeah. uh, for everybody. The fan word didn't get much of a mention during all of this, Clates. What do you make of? Doesn't seem that any of this has got anything to do with golf, does it? Well, there were no fans in Saudi Arabia. I listened to Huggy's podcast. He said there was, you know, there was no one there to watch that tournament. So. You know, I don't know why you would want to play in front of no one. But no, the well, the players are proving to be, some of them, pretty selfish. But in the fan experience, you talk about going back to the Vic Open. I mean, how much better would golf be if people could walk down the fairways as opposed to walking behind? I know it's impractical. Well, it's actually not impractical. It actually well, works pretty well. That does come but, a point, though, doesn't it? I mean, you can't have people walking behind Tiger Woods. No. On the that's, that's not practical. But at Riviera, you could have fans walking on the fairways behind 10 of 11 groups, probably. Mm, interesting. The one time I was there, Shaq, years ago, the crowds weren't that big that you couldn't have had people no, walking oh, on the fairways. Oh, no, they were really low then, yeah. 
He's the only tournament director here, Shaq. Maybe we should be listening to him. No, no. Oh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> what a what a way. Yeah, it's but, interesting you yeah. say that, Clates, because I thought it was it was a really interesting juxtaposition that couple of weeks as all this was unfolding with the, the Mickelson thing and spectacularly rapid that all was. But what just by coincidence Australia, for want of a better term, was showing the rest of the golf world about what can be so right about the game with the Vic Open and then Hannah Green winning the next week. Two really important weeks in the game. Did it get much traction overseas there, Shaq? I mean, the Sandbelt Invitational before Christmas, the Vic Open, and and I thought the TBS at Cobram Brewery there and those TPS series events really is showing what golf can and I guess we think probably should be in some ways. There's probably not a big business model in that necessarily, but it was interesting to see the juxtaposition, didn't you think? It was, yeah. I just don't know how much it, it got uh, in the way of attention, unfortunately, just because there's been so much going on and all the drama with everything. Uh, and then, of course, you had the freak show in, in uh, Phoenix with the throwing the full beards oh. out on the green. God, I'd forgotten play about and, that. Jesus. And all the people having to declare that's what will grow the game, you know, the usual stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had to talk about that a little bit at Riviera. And, of course, all the players just say the right thing in front of the microphone uh, to not get uh, tackled by the, the mob of, oh, you know, Killjoy, all that nonsense. And then, But behind the scenes, they're like, oh, that, that, was, that was so bad, uh, so unsafe, bad for the, the greens, uh, the whole thing. Just any other sporting event on the planet, you get ex- ejected for that. And uh, we... As you know, how I feel, I've uh, beaten this drum a lot, this golf desperation syndrome where we have to uh, do these things because we think that's what's going to get it younger and cooler and all that. And and the the line just keeps changing, and it's getting more and more absurd. I mean, one of the officials was hit with a pretty full beer can. You know, a volunteer, if they get hit, lose an eye or something. It's just, I mean, they won't have those next year. They'll have paper cups. Yeah, that's right. That'd be the last probably time. Probably chicken wire or something. <laughs> but um, it, it's like, really, that's what we need to need to make it uh, more attractive and guys pulling up their shirt. And uh, it's it's amazing because a few years ago they were mad about the caddy races. <laughs> that's right. Uh, they canceled in case someone got hurt. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, and now we're tolerating this. I mean, I don't think the PGA Tour was thrilled with it in any way, to be honest with you. That tournament does a little bit of their own thing, and for the most part, they do a great job of managing the uh, the nuttiness. Like last week, the Honda, you know, has really gotten a reputation with players as not a an enjoyable experience because the fan behavior is so bad there uh, and not dealt with that that a lot of guys actually it's not the golf course they stay away from it's that and phoenix they mostly manage it well but then you have that thing and all the having to declare it uh you know so so great for the kids blah 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 why is the fan behavior bad in, in the honda why is it so bad i don't know it's it? just become one of those things they've developed a, a sort of a drinking afternoon culture yeah. get younger come out and whoop it up and uh yeah, Justin Thomas had those issues a few years ago. He hasn't been back, even though he lives in the neighborhood. <laughs> so you, you, I think it's just one of those things, same thing. They've encouraged it, thinking that's what will uh, bring out a younger crowd. And, uh, you know, it's funny, and you say all that, and I, and I hate to give the, uh, all the age-discriminating uh, people in golf uh, anything to, to, to hang their hat on, but Riviera had a young crowd. And it was more expensive too, which shocked me. And, uh, and that was really not not anything to do with 
being able to act like a jerk. It was uh, the way they market it. And, and then when they got there, people wanted to be outside. That was part of it uh, and be back. But uh, they had a nice fan experience. It wasn't anything over the top. And people had a good time, as far as I could tell. And you didn't have to resort to all that nonsense to attract the younger crowd that they're, they're thirsting for. It was, uh, so it was nice to see that. And, uh, but yeah, in some of these tournaments, that's what they feel they have to do to, to stand out. Is that the same Justin Thomas who spiked a beer on the first tee of the Ryder yeah. Cup, Jeff? He was yeah, upset with the drinking culture? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if he was upset with the drinking culture at the Honda, but I know he didn't like, well, he was very, he was in the final round and a guy was heckling him and, uh, he didn't like that. So Flat yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's one of the things that's kind of, you just get tired of with this. Uh, when these things happen and you try to point it out and you always get the inevitable pushback and this is what you have to do kind of thing. They, there's just nobody envisioning what the next thing is that this opens the door to and creates uh, potential future problems for. It's it's just pathetic. It's it's embarrassing. And it's not necessary. It just, it just isn't necessary to, to get more people out to a tournament. Uh, or grow the game and, and all the other excuses used. It's um, it's a very pointed example, is it not, Clates, of where golf goes wrong by trying to sell everything except the game. Now, I'm fairly certain that within the administration here in Australia some years ago, there was a real push among those who were deciding what the messaging was to be about. And it was the, the last thing you talk about is actual golf because people find it boring. This fear that golf has of its own mm-hmm. product, what's it about? Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah, because it's if you're into golf, it's a, it's not boring at all. But if you're not into it, it's incredibly boring. Mm. So you know, to to us, it's always about well, get the people who love golf to come and watch it. I mean, part of the problem here is that lots of people who play golf don't watch it, don't come and watch it, and don't support it. So so they're marketing to kind of a fringe sort of crowd a little bit because the. The people who play, like I said, the people who play golf don't support it enough and don't come and watch it enough. It's part of the you know, problem with big... women's golf. I mean, part of the problem was when the Australian Open, Lydia put on that clinic at Royal Melbourne, and there were, I mean, women don't come and watch women's golf. You, you and I comfortably walked around the course following her that day, didn't we? At no point did we have to push our way no. through crowds, yeah. and what a what a yeah. show we were treated to. It was remarkable. So. Yeah, it was amazing. But you know, it needs it needs golfers to support it. Otherwise, it just goes away a little bit because the you know the people see that wow the crowds aren't that good and TV ratings aren't that good. But people who love the game need to perhaps support it a little bit more. Is there an answer in there, Shaq? What do you what you what you take? It sometimes well, surprises me how big golf is financially, professionally, given yeah. all of the things that Clay should, including that your only audience is golfers, and a good portion of them aren't interested in professional golf either. No, it's definitely changing. I was kind of shocked uh, how many people I asked were going to come out with a great field, great, unbelievable weather, and and golf people, and they just they just uh, they weren't interested. And uh, but I do think, on the other hand, we had a, a, a younger crowd and and, a, and really good crowds, despite not having Tiger playing, uh, because more people here have experienced golf in some way via Top Golf, and. Um, and and they don't appreciate how much that just that experience alone, when they then get to watch the pros in action, makes them appreciate what they're seeing. We we appreciate good shots, mm-hmm. but I don't think they you know they they just the people running these events underestimate that um, 
that the that the, these newer fans can enjoy and appreciate the game because maybe they've had some little exposure. They may not be golfers or they may be new, uh, but they do appreciate uh, how good they are just knowing having tried it a little bit. And so the sport needs to rely on that a little bit more. All the things they're doing around these tournaments, great, you know, concerts and things to get more attention and get people out there, that's great. But but when it crosses this line to interfere with the the uh, the round, and you're just going down a, a, a rat hole that's just not going to end well. Um, and it's it's, oh, uh, it's, it's so silly. Like, it gets boring no. after a while. Anyway, no. it's chucking beer cans on the greens fun the first year. The second year, it's a bit passe. By the third yeah. year, he's interested in doing yeah. it. I'm interested in the Top Golf connection you mentioned there, uh, Shaq. I've always been a skeptical's the wrong word, but I always wanted to see what that potential crossover might be because, like a lot of this other stuff, and I'm not being critical of Top Golf, it's fantastic, but does it create golfers? Do people want to go from that to the very different and multifaceted experience that is actually playing golf on a golf course? I've always wondered about that. Interested to hear you well, say that. And, and what the, the National Golf Foundation is starting to have some data, and, they, and it is turning, it is converting people into golfers. Not at a huge okay. rate, but enough that yeah. it's something. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it converts more people into followers of the sport and viewers of the sport. Oh, fans! Right. Um, and that's why the tour has always been behind it, and that's great too. Because again, I Absolutely, think the yeah. reason it. Well, it just they once you if you don't know what you're doing, you try, you realize how hard it is, and you go out to a tournament, watch a player spin the ball, and all that. You're in awe, so that's great. Uh, but yeah, they have some data. It's not um, okay. overwhelming, Good. but it's there is a, there is a connection, and it, it certainly can't hurt. And uh, they seem to be bouncing back uh, now that that people can return to those spaces, and they're well ventilated. They're kind of indoor outdoors, so yeah. you know Callaway buying that in the middle of the pandemic is going to go down as one of the great <laughs> uh, steals. If they keep if they keep it going and keep the momentum going, and the, yeah. the reputation is still great, that it's fun and it's essentially it's modern day bowling alleys, and yeah. the food's good, and there's TVs, and you can watch sports and laugh and uh, cornered the market seen... too, haven't they? They've, they've oh got yeah, that yeah. Where, there've where been all it, these upstarts. The yeah, that's they're right. not going anywhere. They're not. They're, they're, not they're the Walkman of that world. That's right. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, the only thing that's that's trying, and they're trying to do it too. There are there's some people trying to un, uh, kind of come in with a indoor putting, indoor simulator right. combos, and you know nightclub vibe, and those might do well too. Uh, we'll see. But I think part of the allure of Top Golf is. Uh, yeah, obviously they can only go to so many places acreage wise, but uh, that it it does have a little bit of a indoor outdoor component that's nice. So we have one in Queensland, right? A top golf. Gold Coast. The only one I've been there, but yeah, Gold Coast. Yes. How does that do? Does pretty well. Uh, I haven't heard for a while. I think it's up there near Movie World somewhere. It's in that whole theme park area, so you can okay. see the market they might have been targeting. You know, families up there on holidays, kids want to go to Movie World and Dream World and all those other sorts of things. I imagine it does pretty well. It's an interesting idea. It's funny you say that about simulators, Shaq, and I think this plugs into something I was going to ask Clates about. I often say this to people who don't play golf, uh, who know nothing about golf. Come out and watch the golf. It, you can't get golf, can you, Clates, till you actually stand and no. feel the breeze and see the distances and see the, and then see a player do something extraordinary with a golf ball. Even if you know nothing about golf, you can't replicate that on television or getting people boots on the ground at golf has to be the answer in a lot of ways, doesn't it? Well, it's like every sport, though. It's like the first time I saw we went to a Formula One practice and we were playing the Portuguese Open and the track was down the road and 
the first time you wasn't the first time I'd seen Formula One, but it's staggering how fast they go. Or watching tennis live as opposed mm-hmm. to watching on TV. I mean, every sport's so much better when you see it live than it is on TV. And the problem with simulators, of course, Shaq, one of the great joys of golf for all of us still to this day is to see the ball take off, get up in the air, go and do something and then come down. You can never replicate that on a simulator, can you? No matter how good the technology gets. No, no. That's where and top some, golf's going to beat those competitors, I suspect. It is, yeah. So they're just, I think, looking for a way to do what they do in smaller spaces and things. Yeah, and yeah. And, uh, and that's great. So, you know, no, there's, I don't think there's anything negative at all about – I think it's all positive with those. Yeah. It's just that uh, – I was never anti it, but I was always sceptical about some of the claims about how sure. it was going to be such a driver of people getting into golf. Because the same with the Phoenix tournament. The problem with that is, and didn't I get hammered on Facebook? I wrote a column about that Phoenix thing, which wasn't, you know, you can like it or not like it, that's up to you. But if you're suggesting that this is going to grow the game because this is what you're telling people golf is, those people, that's false advertising. If any of those people turn up at a golf course anywhere in the world, they're going to last three holes of that baby and be asked to leave. Huh. Yeah. So you can't tell people that's what golf is when it's not, and that that's a real problem. Uh, that seems to me that that just sort of gets washed over because nobody reads any of that; they just read a headline. So you get the kill joy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What did one bloke say? You know, can you imagine anything worse than having to have a beer with Rod Murray? Uh, He's right because I, <laughs> I wouldn't pay for it. But it was that it was that kind of reaction. It's just so small minded, isn't it? Mm. The other thing that's happened, of course, Shaq, it's hard to have a nuanced and intelligent discussion amongst people who might not agree about stuff. Don't you? This is a, this is a this is a broader problem. We've moved into, and it's infected golf. This is this binary world. You're either for Phoenix or you're a fuddy-duddy and a killjoy. There's no well, some, ground in between. Yeah. I mean, some of it has to do with the times and, and where mm. we're at, but, but, but you're also dealing with a force that's driven by money uh, and, and this perverted uh, thing about getting the demographic lower in golf. So you, you have people, uh, they're, they're aggressive about it, they're, they're nasty about it, uh, and they don't really think much beyond the moment and what will get clicks or views or traction or uh, buzz, and they don't have a concept of the long-term um, issues possibly raised by this, and we've seen this with the gambling, or we're going to see it with the gambling, and if it if it even takes hold. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the, the people who are the, the fuddy-duddy... Uh, naysayers are, are not doing it because they want to see the sport uh, not grow they just don't have a financial stake or or or, or they're not protecting a perceived financial um uh, goal of uh, getting this number down so that some advertising people are are uh, more attracted to the sport it's it's really the nonsensical so. business case, the, the the lack of business sense associated with that is quite staggering when you think about it. Uh, last thing on Phoenix, Shaq, because we're going to come to you were hobnobbing with Monaghan and Pelly, obviously, as you would, being the uh, the uh, high-profile golf type that you are. Yeah, yeah. Did right. you ask Jay Monaghan about the hypocrisy of <laughs> using the Higgs and Damon shirts off flogging it on social media through their own channels almost to death, and then the next week telling them they were going to get fined because their behaviour was unbecoming. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. Harry Higgs said he thought he was going to get fined. So we'll, <laughs> uh, no, I did not. Uh, that was not high on my list of topics. To, to <laughs> no, he he kind of drove the conversation. So I uh, – and that wasn't – What would you talk about? Oh, you know, we covered everything um, – about the uh, just uh, being at Riviera and great architecture and 
how hard it is to get to courses like that now because of uh, uh, logistics. Certain issues with the golf ball. Did you? Yeah, how far the ball goes, and um, you know, he kind of nodded and smiled a lot on that part. And we we just talked architecture in general. And does he get it? What's he? Oh yeah, he's very. Yeah, he's very into it, and I, I, he knows. Uh, he, he understands the topic. It's just, um, you know, there are a lot of forces there with, with on the business side and the player side that he's, that are, that are more important to, uh, him and his constituency than what, uh, some of us would like to see in terms of venues they go to. So, uh, I understand that, but, uh, it doesn't mean I'm not going to take the opportunity to, to remind him, you know, I mean, he had played, uh. Uh, he had just played the pro am at Riviera, and it was just a—I mean, just a stunning day out, and uh, just couldn't have been better. And and Riviera was just in ridiculously good shape, and uh, so yeah, they were they were really enjoying themselves. And and I just wanted to highlight that that those kinds of venues are endangered, and uh, you know, it's uh, I I just kind of got the same thing from he and Pelly. Well, you may you may like what's coming soon. Was was sort of the. They didn't. That that wasn't their endorsement. That was just the comment. So we'll we'll see here any day now. We're in theory going to hear some things about um, some rules changes that might might uh, slow down kind of this uh, quest for max distance. You read about the tenth hole a little bit. Shaq, how's that playing? Oh, it's just dumb now. It's just it's just dumb because uh, the green's so severe, or because the ball goes so far that it's just a long part oh, three, or. Both, yeah. yeah. Both, I yeah. mean, the green speed is a big part of it, and uh, and then the uh, yeah. I mean, they can drive it with a three wood uh, unless it's it's cold in the morning, and then it's a, a driver. But uh, and even then, it's not a full driver. They're trying to kind of take something off it. So yeah, it's just it's just dumb. You just watch it, and it's uh, it's just a shame because uh, you know the green speed thing's a more complicated issue. That's just where green speeds have gone, but it. Uh, it has taken a green that was functional and made it really tough to to set up and and tough to make. As I wrote in that piece in the newsletter, it's tough to make the case that uh, the players are doing the wrong thing by by. I mean, I still don't understand their their mentality uh, to an extent, but um, they kind of can go herd like now. You know, I was doing a piece. I'm working on a piece for the newsletter talking about to guys about how they're preparing for the old course. And you just get so many answers about the analytics that are prepared for them and the caddy uh, scouting it and, and them getting to know their lines. And so, so you just can't believe how many decisions are made based on sort of the, the, the herd approach. And yet, if you looked at the numbers last week, uh, if you if you just look at the colors, you can see that that approach of bombing it way over and by the eleventh tee. It's just not really. There's a lot of pars. There weren't a lot of birdies, yeah. and so yeah. you know, I that's always I have no problem with the analytics, but I always wonder. You know, we had a football team here in L.A. that 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 they cited the analytics and they lost three games just blatantly um, sticking with the analytics of going on it on fourth down. It's like, well, are we going to revisit those numbers now that you just cost yourself a playoff spot with those, those uh, analytics driven decisions. So it's very strange and you can see where it'll go back the other way. Somebody will start to say, Hey, you know, maybe if you land up in the fairway, you'll have more, less stress and you might make two birdies. And, but the green is so, 
so uh, fast. And then that first bounce, Clates, as you know, with a modern ball, when you stand there, that, that first bounce is so big, even when they have a lot of spin on it. And so that's why Justin Thomas is, and, and Alex Norin are sort of a – I didn't see Aaron Ray play it. But those were the three guys who laid up. But, but Norin and, and uh, Thomas hit that nice high kind of cutting, soft landing shot that you used to see most guys hit. And so uh, they can play that shot to that green. But most of them hit that, a ball that that first bounce is big. So if, that, you were, if you were redesigning the green, would you leave it as it is and, and slow the speed down or would you change the edges or would you, what would you do to it to change it? Yeah, I think you have to make it, well, you have to get it a little bit bigger and probably soften the tilt and, uh, and probably not have the bunker lips sort of peel down, give, give a slight little cushion there would be the best way to do it. I don't know what you do on the green speed. I mean, the superintendents and everything, they're all so good now. They can, they can produce 13 without really working that hard and uh with the poet it, it's it's almost difficult not to have them fast so i think you'd have to make the green a little bit uh, bigger and i'd lengthen the hole if they're not going to do anything about distance yeah. and uh, i hate that but it it's a busy intersection and all that but you just you know like i wrote in the thing i can't wait to watch the women play it because that'll at least you'll get that more uh, more of a sense of risk and reward and some players will, the long players will actually be able to get it up there on the front collar and and uh, the precisionist will still possibly have a chance i you know, just be more it's more in balance with the architecture compared to the men i mean clates i stood on the ninth tee sunday for a few groups and the left bunker I, I, I should have the number i don't but they lengthen this hole 40 yards to bring that bunker back in play and it's it's one of those bunkers where you know you're in it you're you really are in trouble it's a real must avoid bunker and I watched three different guys with one arm finishes, just easily clear, no problem. Um, they were bombing it 50 yards past this bunker. I mean, just ridiculous numbers. And flip wedge into this hole that used to be pretty tough. And and I, I don't mind the flip wedge as much as I mind the sight of the bunker just isn't... I mean, one or two guys who aren't as long, they had to watch it closely, and they still carried it. Yeah, uh, they're not even... Yeah. Like yeah. well then what so it just makes the architecture kind of pointless and it, you just get this feeling it's just a long it's just, it's just try to hit it as hard as you can and Neiman did that very well and 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 he can hit it really hard and um, but a lot Have of guys did. I mean this guy Cameron Young just was hitting it unbelievable places. You kind of get the feeling that the guys who the bureaucrats in the offices in San Andrews and wherever the USJ Far Hills New Jersey don't. Go stand behind the ninth tee for twenty minutes and have a look at. You don't need it. You don't need any statistics to tell you what's going on if you just go and watch what's happen. What's happening? Yeah, yeah. They don't go watch the way the game is played yeah. much. I don't think. Or if they do, they again get sucked up in this. Well, that's what the young kids do today, and we've got to support that. And it's a power game, and they're athletes, and they work out harder, and all that stuff. You know, all the they go right to that stuff because they don't want to sound like. Like us, like old, old um. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Cameron Young's the kid whose father's the pro at Sleepy yeah. Hollow? right. Okay, yeah. Kills it, yeah. just kills it. And, right. and a yeah. great performance, by the way. I mean, he wasn't, he was kind of, 
you just kept watching like, okay, this is going to fall apart at some point. And he hung in there and got a huge, huge second place finish for him. I mean, that sets his year and uh, just hung in beautifully. But he hits it. Oh, my gosh. He's got a very beautiful good deck. Like, yeah, I was going to yeah, say beautiful like swing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not – that pause action's interesting to me. Jordan Spieth's kind of trying to do something like that, and it's just painful to watch right now. Jordan it's, tinkering. Are you sure, Jeff? Have you got it's the right really weird. It's really weird. It's really – it's worse in person than it is on TV. Well, one way – it looked okay at Pebble, but at Riv, it was sort of back to very awkward. Um, and I don't know what I don't know what he's trying to do, but it's – it's um, it doesn't have a, a flow to it. Don't you reckon Jordan's one of those guys who's kind of not at peace unless he's at war with himself somehow? There's got to yeah, be some internal yeah. struggle going on for Jordan to sort of be interested in it. That's how it feels to me. Well, is that his best when he's kind of always just right on the edge of this could all collapse right tomorrow? He's, that's when he's at his best. He's a, he's but a I remarkable think person. Clates can answer this better than I can. There have always been players like that, right, Clates? Mm-hmm. There's always been guys. Yeah. That's what keeps them motivated and focused and and working at it, I, right? I mean, I think there's I mean, there's a point you can over-tinker, though, too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I don't know. I just get that feeling from Spieth that it's he's got to be well, right on the edge, and he's he's kind of he's an amazing. I love watching Spieth. I reckon he's fantastic. But he and Rory to me, they're, they're, when they're at the top of the game, the game's in its best place in all ways. Both both great exponents of playing the game, interesting to watch, and both interesting to listen to in what they sort of think about the game. Quickly back to analytics. No, part, I want to hear Clay, Clay. You were going to say something real quick. I was well, I, well, I think. I mean, Palmer was that way too. Yeah. A bit, by the way, Feldo was the ultimate tinkerer, wasn't he? I mean, he was always. Tinker, but, to, but like Rod's description of that kind of that kind of battle, and it's just sort of yeah. There's it's it's like his was more orderly, uh, and there was a more there was a, a real regimented thought process. But it there's but there's always been guys who are kind of mm. edgy in that eternal edgy and that eternal yeah. internal battle, and it's um, it's entertaining to watch. Uh, but I'm, I don't know why they do it. You'll love this, Clades. Lindsay Stephen was probably a bit like that, a great Australian player down here who we lost a, oh, a year or two ago now. Sadly, at the 16th hole at Royal Sydney one year, I was out there watching, Clades. Might have been, uh, might have been 99, the year Baddeley won. I don't know. It might have been his daughter caddying for him. It was a woman caddying, but it might have been his wife. And he's hit three-wood for his second shot. There's a bunker maybe 50 yards short of the green there. It's, it's yeah. literally just caught the lip and trickled back into the bunker. <laughs> we just uh, flipped the club at the, the caddy and said, fuck this, I'm going to get a real job. <laughs> It stormed <laughs> off up the first. Like, it was like yeah, it was well, the last straw. So I've had enough. <laughs> well, in fairness, Lindsay said that most weeks. I was gonna, you could, and I was going to the point being, I can imagine he would have said that three holes earlier. He would have said it last week. He was going to say it again. The negative. It was just beautiful delivery, though. I'm going to get. It I remember really. being on the range in the early '80s. I just turned pro, and Greg was on the range hitting balls and. Lindsay said, well, look at this guy here. We might as well all just go and get a real job. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Lindsay was the ultimate pessimist. Yes, he was fan, uh, what? fantastic. Back, sorry, Chuck. Well, no, you, you, what's the, uh, you mentioned um, Greg, and I thought of Greg Norman. What, what's the perception down there of where all this is uh, since we've last spoken of, uh, of your uh, country's uh, great golfer? Well, you you posted what Peter Fitzsimons wrote about him, who's the leading kind of ex-rugby player sports writer now who doesn't ever miss a chance to have a rip at Greg when he can. And he, he rarely misses. I mean, Greg hasn't been here for so long that you know, there are rumours that he's going to come back and live here. But Started by him. 
Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's where those rumours came from. He said he was going to do it. I can't believe do we, he's... A, do we exactly think of him as Australian? Do you think still quite? Uh, my think, sense I, is that most Australians don't think of him as Australian. Well, he hasn't been here for so long. Yeah. And the young... I mean, kids haven't... Kids, in inverted commas, haven't seen him play and they... You know, there's this kind of sad, in a sense, misconception that he was a choker and he didn't... You know, he, was unsu- he wasn't as successful as he... Was a guy who won ninety golf tournaments. Mm. He had an incredibly successful career and a great career. Well, not great relative to Jack Nicklaus, but you know, he, Hell of the a overwhelming point. kind of people who don't know golf was that. Well, he was a guy who blew the Masters and blew all those tournaments and choked on Sundays, and you know, which is not fair on Greg. Really, I mean, the guy was. We all wish we were Greg. I mean, he had an incredible career, but that's kind of the perception of him a bit now. Was that well, he was a guy who lost all those tournaments? Yeah. And, and he hasn't been here for so long that, you know, he's kind of out of sight, out of mind a little bit really here. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. I, I just don't feel like people are thinking, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's embarrassing Australia or anything like that. I just don't think most Australians think of him as And you're right, and Clates is right, I think. It's unfairly in so many ways, you're right, Clates, for all of his faults, and we could pick them. <laughs> we could spend yeah. an hour picking the podium. What an extraordinary player. What an amazing golfer and incredible talent to go and watch him play the game in person was always a real treat. Uh, just an extraordinary sort of a player. But Yeah, the contrast between Greg and Tiger is, I mean, Tiger was such an incredible winner. You know, mm. if, if Greg had had that intangible thing that Tiger had, then no doubt he'd have won the Grand Slam in 1986 and he'd have been one of the great yeah. four or five players of all time. And he would have won 10 majors. But what Tiger had was just incredible, well, wasn't it, really? How, how he so- could just close those Thomas down and every single time win them from, from where he was. So your, your old mate Steve Williams, Clates, he's always said that the difference was that Tiger just put the bad shots behind him. Greg could never recover, could never could never get over having made a bogey or hit a bad shot. Yeah, which was the that same was the thing. I remember talking to Bruce Edwards once who caddied for Greg for a bit and he said exactly the same thing. Yeah. You know, so it was... Well, we saw it at the Lakes, didn't we, when he made that, was it 14, uh, 11, I think, on the... 12 or 13, yeah, whatever four, he made, yeah. Whatever, whatever the number. And it was just, he just stood there hitting balls in the water because he couldn't believe the first one had gone in. He just hit the same shot sort of three times. It was, it was a yeah, he didn't walk staggering down display. 80, he didn't walk down 80 yards closer to the water where he no. could have dropped it and hit yeah. a nine on on the green. He yeah. stood he, there with his two on until he hit it on the yeah. green. That's exactly right. It was just a, a remarkable sort of an insight. Lack of, anyway, that's uh, let's not talk about that. Um, on that shack, I mean, what did you... <laughs> What did you make of the letter that Greg wrote? Who's letting Greg Norman write his own letters to Joe? Uh, yeah, that was a strange letter. <laughs> and the guy, he, uh, I did a blog post looking at that guy who uh, who who he was citing, who who who's written two pieces now for Greg, uh, pro pro this thing, and he's kind of a uh, kind of from a lot of uh, organizations these days that that uh, were were once credible and have kind of sold their soul uh the federalist society and the heritage foundation and he seemed so like a uh well a little bit of a, a quirky character at best uh i thought it was uh I, he's desperate they're trying to hold this thing together i don't understand though the logic of that the tour's bullying and tells you what to do but then the concept of their their league is that they own you and they will tell you where to play and 
Um, and you get guaranteed now, money like you do in football and right, other right. team and sports. That is the difference. Yeah, you That's get right. the guaranteed money, but they're going to also tell you yeah. what to do and and probably uh, what things you can't criticize uh, when it comes to certain uh, countries and the way they operate. And uh, so, yeah, it's I, they're desperate. They're trying to hold this together, and it's falling apart. And Phil. And and they they did it themselves. That's the amazing Absolutely. thing. I mean, yeah. we've known all along who the backers were. Uh, we knew they were investors in the Premier League, but they weren't out front. Then they decided to steal it and go out front and make it their own. And um, not until Phil really made those comments to Huggin, uh, which I think that really then when you had the Alan Shipnook interview, yeah. the, it's a combination of the two: the, the anger right. towards the <clears throat> tour and the and the choice of words and uh the obsession with money it just did uh it just imploded the thing <laughs> they did it on their own um and uh i don't i don't see how they re- they recover it's weird though shack i mean some of the announcements of the people who've gone to work with that liv or live investments whatever they call them so they're not, not stupid people i mean no, successful people in business how does that thing just imply? I mean, they've obviously put the case to them well enough to convince them that this is going to be a good next step for them in business. So they must have something of value to offer. I mean, it's not like the. You can understand Greg being, you know, wide eyed and wants to be the commissioner and can yeah, see himself yeah. in a certain role. You could say. But not all the, the others that have signed up aren't those kinds of people generally, are they? It just staggers me. So there must be. That's what. There must be something behind it that has some. That's somewhat solid. You can't imagine all those people signing up for it. So I think we'll probably find out. I guess yeah, it's called money. Um, it's called a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, true. You're talking about people who could get lots of money in loads of different places. Then they don't have to go and. Do. Yeah, it's a risk. There's a risk for all yeah. of that. Anybody who gets involved with the Saudis takes a risk. You know, there's a PR risk there for everybody who signs on. So, um, anyway, interesting sort of. Yeah, I just think the world of business that, that 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 the people who took jobs there, nobody will view them as having. Uh, it won't be seen as fatal, maybe the way it would have been for one of the golfers. I just think on the on the business side that that's just viewed as. Um, you, you, you're, it was an opportunity. You took it, and uh, took it, it fell apart. But we're, you, you, you know, that's not going to hurt them. Their prospects down the road. It's not like they're out there working for the the kingdom and and validating some of the things they do. They're just working for an entity, and uh, that would be my guess. But uh, I still think the thing is, in unless they just come back with crazy, you know, they double their offers and things. I just don't see it. Uh, I don't see that this version mm. working. I think round what, one has, been, has gone to the PGA Tour. Clates. What's happened to the PGL, the London-based? They're still lurking. Was it Andy Gardner? See the yeah, they're still, they're, they're so still they're, lurking. They're one of the entities out there. I don't think they were the one cited by Ken Azaro that tried to work with the FedEx Cup and different things. I think that's some, some California people. Uh, yeah, they're still out there lurking, and... Like I said, I just don't see any of them going away because there no. there is still a view that uh, these things could be done better, and and they they all have this gambling thing in mind as being big money and the franchise thing, and they have uh, a view that uh, I think enough companies aren't thrilled with the tour that um, they, they feel there's an opportunity. Shack? 
Hmm? Are, are companies who sponsor golf tournaments getting value? The product hasn't changed for as part well, of 100 years. Professional golf, are they getting value for what they're paying? We know what they're paying is exorbitant. So that might be a legitimate yeah, uh, sort it of is. concern and take. So It is, and some companies are different than others, as we know. So, you know, Genesis is, is not looking to, for instance uh, – you know, they just they just are trying to build their name. They're trying to get their name out there. Then there are other ones where you know, they're pretty well established, and uh, they don't really. They just want to remind you that they're still there. And Hot whether the tour delivers that. that, I don't know. Now, you know, yeah. for a Genesis, it's fantastic because people that the people they're reaching have money, and they're showing off this new beautiful car. Uh, so it makes great sense. But does travelers? Uh, or, or farmers, do they? These are insurance companies that are yeah, well yeah. known, and like, are they really getting their bang for their buck from golf? I don't know. Maybe you never know because all it takes is a CEO who likes playing in the pro am, and, well, and it's all fine. Funny you should say, I was talking to a player not long ago, Clates, about the old Ford Open in South Australia. Yeah, and he played the pro am with the new head of Ford the last year it was played, and he said to him on the second hole, "said Do you like golf?" And the bloke said, "Not really." And that was the end of the Ford Open the next year. Yeah. It can be that Oof. fickle. Yeah. Had a CEO who loved the game, went to a CEO who didn't like the game. That was Oof. it. Golf was gone. So yeah. you, you kind of got to be a bit careful. How would Honda feel, uh, Shaq, about the field that assembles there? They've been, what, a 40-year sponsor? 1982, yeah. I think they came on board with the tour and can barely attract a – well, I didn't know they had anyone in the top 10, did they, from the top 10 in yeah. the world turned up? That's yeah, a you know, slap in the face, I, isn't I can't it? imagine they're happy. I mean, a few years ago it was a sixth major, and now it's uh, struggling to get guys who. And when half the the top fifty live in a short drive from the course, it can't make them happy. <laughs> That's for sure. But uh, but again, I you know, what's a star now these days? Like you said, Spieth and McElroy uh, have a certain thing going, and. They're your golfer's golfer, aren't they? Harry Higgs yeah, is your your bros I mean, like people, Harry. Yeah, I mean there and there are people who follow some of these lesser known guys, and but we don't really have magazine profiles that invest us in them anymore. The the telecasts do a FedEx Cup file graphic that tells you the guy likes to go fishing, you know, and uh, there aren't really many features being done. Golf Channel ended that, and. Um, when the tour does one, it's more of a, a puff piece kind of thing, and it, it lacks a certain uh, get to know you kind of thing. I, I don't, I, I don't feel like the the investment in the players is the same, and that's what their hope is, obviously, with the Netflix thing. Which watching that filming in action, um, I don't know if people should be getting their hopes up for that. Either. Oh, did you see some of that? What's the? Oh yeah, oh, the oh my god, they had twelve people in the media center every day coming in to put on their gear and go out and try to capture audio they just walked i watched one cameraman just walk right over a green with this giant tripod and rig <laughs> second to last group oh, uh, i mean right on the fringe you knew it wasn't cbs uh walked over the green walked back over it and and yeah they they go wherever they want and they try to rec- I, but it was fun watching them try to record stuff when the guys come off the course and 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 Clates knows this. It's just the worst time. They're just they're, they've been yeah. out there for five hours. They're tired. They're hungry. Uh, they're probably cranky. Um, more chance, more often than not, uh, about something that just happened on the last hole. And uh, and we see that over and over again with our interviews. You know, you get somebody 
20, 30 minutes after the round, and they're so much better than they are right in that little interview area. Although I will say all the guys were wonderful last week. Uh, they were Everybody was, I, I don't know what changed, but maybe it was a pandemic, but people were uh, very nice to deal with, the players were. Um, so I think there's some some of that, that people are just happy things back are back at normal. But yeah, I didn't see anything any sign that they were doing anything that would capture anything interesting. And then whatever they're doing won't be seen for a year. So I don't, I don't, uh, you know, that the lack of the quick turnaround is a real stunner to me that they, it's a false God, isn't it? Uh, the, the, you know, the F1 thing being such a success, it's a false God. I think you just take that and plop it into golf and make it work. The yeah. dynamics are all so different. Is it, you know, I think you're absolutely right. The worst thing you do is shoot something and then show it on Netflix in a year. They'd be better off if they were cutting up a daily show. The right. most interesting stuff that you see on the internet for the most part, and we'll come to the PGA Tour on this internet, is that Scratch TV. They at least publish something once or twice right. a week that's interesting to watch. It's just a fast cuts of, you know, Tigers, Great Twelves, whatever it might be. It's that sort of content that's going to get people interested in that. What's happened with PGA Tour social media channels Shaq, somebody you know, have they pinched someone from the European Tour? Was that part of the deal? They're a lot better than they were this time last year. I'm not saying they're great, but they've actually done some decent stuff in the last few weeks, noticeably better. You don't think so? I don't follow it closely enough, to be honest I don't with follow you. It I tuned, closely, they were so bad it, yeah. that they I tuned most of it out, but that's good to hear. I'll I'll pay attention more. Uh, yeah. Probably yeah. a combination of that and um, I mean, they made enough mistakes and done enough crap that oh. uh, somebody might have actually said you know we should probably be better at this and learn from the european tour and and not uh not just fill up people's feeds with with junk and when we do something it should be um uh valuable and uh but i don't i don't really know i haven't followed it closely clates is more of the social media guy ask him <laughs> he's the Clayton, well, you're a social well, media analyst. What do you make of the he is. senior well, senior social media analyst? I don't pay any attention to it much because the Europeans have they've been brilliant at it. You know, their stuff's been great. So I don't even yeah. notice the PGA Tour. You know, they just what um where they're playing Bay Hill this week. Shall yeah, it? yeah. How's that field? Is that the field at well, Bay Arnold Palmer's <laughs> Yeah, Bryson withdrew. Uh, you know, I, if you watched his, did you guys watch his message? I did. Uh, I, I wish I, I hadn't, didn't. but I did. I didn't <laughs> was, because I had better things to do with a minute than watch it. You're designing a magnificent golf course in Tasmania. Why yeah. would you? Um, yeah, you definitely you make have better it? things to do. Shaq, well, I watched it. Was a it bizarre and, thing. Well, it's Jump. bizarre in that he's saying he's close, and then he admits he's not comfortable hitting balls right now. So, no golfer. With well, half a brain uh, believes he's close. Then, when you hear that, if there's pain involved in hitting a golf ball, uh, he's he's not close. And so it's 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 one of those things you don't want to pile on and point it out, right? But it, I mean, a year ago we were talking about the Bay Hill moment, and and everybody was this is the future, and isn't this great? Guys swinging out of their shoes, and and here we are now, and and it seems like his body's. I don't want to say breaking down, but it's not not in great shape, and uh, and that's with a great diet and and uh, well, except for that, well, there was that phase where he was having the ten pieces of bacon a day, but he's he's clearly gotten away from that. But do you think the lesson's been learned that, that this is not a this is not the a way to career longevity to to get huge and swing as hard as you can? And he's played uh, two PGA Tour events. Jack, do you reckon it's to do with injury? Yeah. Or is something still bubbling in the background? 
he, you know, the the suppose the rumored statement he made that he'll never play the PGA Tour again sometime. Right, you know? right. He hasn't played the PGA Tour since January. He played the Farmers, missed the cut. Yeah, Ryder Cup, Pro World Challenge, Century Tournament of Champions, Farmers Insurance Open. That's it. Yeah. And pull, pulls out for, as the defending champion at Bay Hill. Is there something yeah. more going on? I guess is a. I think that's a legitimate question. I think he's legitimately injured. I really do. You I, do? I, I, I think he'd be playing this week. Uh, he's got sponsors. He's got. Uh, he, well, he's a, he won there. He 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 understands the importance of being a defending champion and the attention you get and the, what you do for the tournament. And it was a big deal last year. He he would be there if he was healthy. I'm I'm fully confident of that. I I think he has. Uh, he sees where the Saudi thing's headed, and I think he's just injured. I think he's got a hip, he's got wrist. Um, and, again, is this, you know, all the people who uh, touted that you have to, to, to do this stuff and be an athlete, you know, where are they now? Where, where, where I'm, you know, I'm, I'd like to hear from them because it sure doesn't look like it's worked out well for them. That's always going to be a short-term strategy, isn't it? I mean, swinging as hard. There's always been One players would like think, that. right, but... Yeah, but look, plugging into this hole, and you're right. This notion of you know trying to get the kids involved and trying to make golf more like football, and we're athletes and this sort of stuff. All of those other sports accept that your career is short because your body breaks from doing right. those things to it. You know, and nobody plays football in their forties. Well, almost nobody plays football in their forties. It's just unheard of. There was never that mindset in golf until right. more recently. Now I think there you do have a lot of players. And why couldn't it be a short term? There is not a player in their twenties. I don't think who's given a thought to the possibility of playing the Champions Tour. No, not interested. Done. No. Done by the time I'm forty. Made enough money, and if I can't walk, so be it. But I'll be financially set. And everything will be fine. Do you, what do like you if Gary Player was saying that in 1970, I won't be playing the tour after I'm 35 years old. They all do. Yeah, but then they find out they oh, really God. don't have that much else yeah. to do, and they—that's their life. They love the travel and yeah, the competition. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. It's interesting Some of them that. finish up through circumstance, needing the money, needing the money. Yeah, no, no matter how much they've made, they need the money because they've been divorced twice or once, or they've Four gambled times. it, or they've yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how much do you think Phil's issues are? because he needs the money, Shaq. Is there any sense that he actually needs the Saudi money or does he just want more money than he's got? Uh, he, I, there's just pretty much every indication he seems to need need some money. I mean, I just don't think you take the tone and uh, that, that he's taken towards various uh, at people and, and the desperation in his... Uh, even in his apology statement, still touting the, the Saudi concept and uh, all that, it just seems pretty clear he, he's he been – I mean, look, he plays I'm, – I'm, he thinks he's a venture capitalist and a CEO and all that, and but it's gone to a level where he has to – I mean, now he really knows he's lost all of his partnerships, but he sure, he sure behaves like somebody who uh, needs to uh, cash a big check. Yeah, because then you, know, you hear the rumors about how much he's lost gambling and – but in no real world should Phil Mickelson ever need any money or he's 10 generations down the line if they're not lazy and slothful and wasted away. But, you know, it's staggering that he might actually need money given how much he's made. I'm not sure it's all relative too, but 
I'm sure he's doing better than we are. But well, it's a, it happens, doesn't it, Clutch? We all think other people are richer than us, but there are people in the world who would look at us and go, well, these people have got it made. <laughs> you know, they own houses, and uh, it's extraordinary the wealth that they've got. And so, and your lifestyle adapts to the income you have, doesn't it, Jack? This, this is a part of this problem. I mean, wow. Tiger Woods, it costs Tiger Woods X number of dollars a year to be Tiger Woods. That's, that's just the truth yeah. of of that. So, yes, it's comfortably covered with what's coming in, but it's just not as simple as, well, I live on 100000 a year. Surely you can live on a million. It's, that's a little sort of too simplistic, so I get that. Is there a possibility, Shaq, that Mickelson is actually just playing us all? This is the ultimate play. He's not going well, to miss the it, sponsors. If it's, it was, uh, it, it, I don't <laughs> think it's gone too well for him. Um, I just I – don't, I don't see that was uh, – that that was his thing. He hinted at, yeah. He hinted at some issues in that apology that were now whether he was doing that for PR or whether generally that whole you know the last ten years have been very there was some quite disturbing stuff it felt like between the lines. Yeah, and that's it's why it was sort of tough to 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 pick on it um, because yeah, you read some of the language was pretty uh, strong and obviously he yeah was trailed by FBI agents at a tournament and and got involved and. In, all sorts of uh, things with uh, Billy Walters, and um, sure he had a lot of uncomfortable depositions and, and different kinds of meetings with people discussing things. But uh, yeah, the language was was uh, was pretty clear that uh, uh, something's something's been bothering him quite a bit. And it's not clearly not Godflood. What do you make of the pylon? Because you know I've never been a great fan of Mickelson, but goodness me, it's been swift and intense hasn't it yeah i mean i'm i piled on too in in part i guess the um yeah i guess the because the number one question people still have is now exactly what did he do wrong (laughs) and it's it's hard to explain because we've had athletes do far worse uh and retain their sponsors and there isn't really one thing other than you can say well his tone was terrible uh, he stupidly announced he was trying to leverage these horrible people back in October, and then he then he went in on the tour. And I think for a lot of people, they just didn't know that he was this uh, eager to play businessman on the on the uh, behind the scenes and do it in such a kind of ruthless uh, way. But um, yeah, the pylon's been interesting. It it uh, and then he went and then you know he just went on that block binge and he blocked uh, people who just. Yeah, I've several people showed me what they wrote, and it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't nasty about him. It was just I can't. I'm so disappointed uh, in his stance towards the tour where he's made his career living and block. <laughs> so well, that disturbing behavior. No, but that's disturbing yeah. behavior, isn't it? Check taking offense at that sort of stuff. That's uh, yeah. I mean, I totally I block people all the time and call you horrible <laughs> names and and that. But you didn't sense that any of those people were doing that. And I, you know, he blocked. Uh, I don't know when he blocked me, but suddenly he he did. And uh, Paige Sporanic and uh, uh, oh, uh, the Sam Harris uh, yeah. and Meg. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. like. Uh, yeah, that I didn't was just weird. So I didn't get blocked. Maybe I need to follow. Yeah, him. so that was strange. I don't. Uh, I don't think Harry Varden ever blocked anybody, right, Clates? I don't think that he. <laughs> I can when see he was him block- very cranky after a round. I can see him blocking you, Shaq, but blocking Meg McLaren's. I know. It's like well, killing Bambi, isn't pretty, that one? Pretty, she wrote something <laughs> tough. It was tough what she wrote. I think she shared it, but it wasn't personal. It wasn't. 
No. She didn't call him any names. Um, just brought in the Saudi element, and, and yeah. So, and you know, for one stuff. who can't, for one who can't afford, you know, not to go there, she didn't go there. Yeah, she's. Oh, she eventually did, and I know that it was a an emotional struggle for yeah. me. Anyway, that's neither just on that notion of you know. I saw somebody tweeted out uh, something about you know who did Phil kill, and Lucetich had the best response himself. Yeah, <laughs> it was just yeah. beautifully done. So, well, uh, and it is. It, well, it, it, it is a fair. I look at it now, and it's like really, this has really spiraled. So, is like I wrote a piece in my newsletter. Is it? Is it because the. Sponsors know more is coming. Was he already? I think it's mostly that he was just already on thin ice with all these companies. Yeah. It'd be a dangerous kind of- sponsorship idea, wouldn't it? I mean, Mickelson and Faraday was right. Watching him play golf is like watching a drunk chase a balloon along yeah. the edge of a cliff. It's exciting, but it could go wrong at any time. And as a sponsor, right. you must have always been thinking that with Mickelson, I'd imagine. And Nike's so- fine with that. Nike likes its athletes to be on the edge, but. I don't think the KPMGs and Workdays and uh, Callaways of the world. Uh, I don't know much about Workday, but I know the other two. They don't want to deal with that. They want to be, they want to be in Wait, golf because uh, they want to be a positive presence. And um, you know, KPMG's doing incredible stuff on the women's side and the investments there. They don't. They don't want to be. They don't want to deal with drama and uh, neuroses and weirdness. Yeah. Uh, but it's still. I mean, the history of the game. We've never seen a. Uh, a, a player of his stature uh, take this kind of hit over something you oh. can't really describe in a sentence. <laughs> yeah, just an implosion. <laughs> Which is weird. Well, is it chickens coming home to roost? Is it? Yeah. Have people been waiting for this for a whole bunch of years, and when it happened, yeah. they've just gleefully jumped in and, and you know, completely yeah. done it. So that might be some of interesting it. stuff. Let's quickly talk about distance. Uh, were we expecting something? Like the distance part, I think, is due in May. Shaq, but you've been saying the yeah. rumors swelling about something coming this month, possibly even today. We thought we didn't see anything. What's going on there? Yeah, that was the uh, the, the 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 scuttlebutt at, at uh, Riviera. I don't know what you if you guys have heard anything else, but it seems like there's a uh, an expedited uh, uh, proposal that's going to be made very soon. And I mean, I I you know I just I uh, had conversations with with people who would know and they just said, well, yeah, wait and see. You're going to, you, you may like it. it was kind of the same thing I got from Keith Pelly and from, from uh, Jay Monahan. I had a long chat with Keith Pelly. Uh, I mean, I just, I just took him through all the, uh, all the, I went, I played all by, the hits. By chat, do you mean monologue, Shaq? Well, <laughs> you know, he do gives, a lot you know, of listening? I, it was terrible. Like he gives me, uh, you know, oh, this, I says, is this your first time here? Riviera, yes, and and uh, I said, well, you know, I, and he said something about the architecture, and I said, well, I did write a book on the course, and then on the architect, and he had no idea, and he went, really, tell me about more, and <laughs> and then of course I managed to segue eventually into how it takes a half hour longer to play the course in the last five, eight years, just because of the backups on eleven, seventeen, and ten. So of course, you know, I I couldn't miss the opportunity, uh, but no, it was a good chat. We. Kind of talked about this some of the stuff we hit on the longevity of careers and um, skill and shot making. What's entertaining to watch? And then you know Rory came walking up. This is about fifteen. Well, I had a good fifteen to twenty minutes with him, and he was positioned to kind of catch players going to and from the locker room or uh, just milling about the clubhouse, agents and stuff. And and this was this was the day that the uh, report of seventeen players having committed was uh, out, and uh, and Rory came up and he starts just before he could he, I could even catch a glimpse. He goes, "Oh, I'm so tired of 
talking about Saudi Arabia? Is that all you guys talk about? I go, no, no, no. We're talking about how the ball goes too far. And he goes, oh, yeah. He just, I said, well, it looks like you two have a lot to talk about. And I got the hell. I knew that. And I, I left. I went down to the range and I came back and they were still talking. It was very serious. So, um, good for them getting, getting time to catch up. But, um, you know, they just Hopefully won't acknowledge we'll... the things that we acknowledge. So that's what's still weird. But, you know, I get, I get it. They don't want to tell, say to me what they think. Hopefully their talk was about Rory playing a bit more in Europe and making sure what that tour does as well as it should do. Yeah, well, he's not playing the Scottish, so uh, that's out. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's one thing Rory gets kind of a – he gets a pretty uh, – he gets a lot of leeway on. He, 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 he could do more to help that – protect that tour and less to – uh, be obsessed with the PGA Tour, and he and he doesn't, and I I think it's disappointing. I kind of sense that you is, agree, yeah. Clates. Well, all those yeah. guys could, you know, all those European players who live in America and predominantly yeah. play there could do. They could do worse than sit around a table and say, we, we, "Each of us need to go and play mm. two or three tournaments we wouldn't otherwise play, just to make sure that it keeps well, the, keeps you know thriving and doing well because it's a. There aren't enough jobs in pro golf just in America, which was Peter yeah. Thompson's point about the World Tour was Thompson was in the World Tour or promoted the World Tour concept for the right reasons in that he understood there weren't enough jobs in the, in America to support the number of people who wanted to play golf and, and there needed to be a viable tour outside of America. And the last thing the game needs to be doing is killing it off by having the leading players not support it. Yeah. Well, I think they're going to try. It sounds like they're really going to use this opportunity of the WGCs dying and this strategic alliance to do things more like the Scottish Open where they get a sponsor like Genesis and they they build that, which, you know, that should have been done years ago yeah. um, into kind of a WGC before the Open. Uh, so I feel like they're going to try to do that. It's just, it's just so tough to get uh, the players to, to make the journey – for various reasons, but they need to do something. And uh, it's remarkable though, still how Europe is producing. Um, it's still developing players and talent. Um, so, you know, nobody's really noticing that as much as they should, I don't think. Uh, but they funny are. You should say that. Uh, funny you should say that, Jack. And you'd appreciate this, I guess, Clates. They're playing in Kenya this week, the European Tour. The ah, yeah. yeah. I had to write the preview for the magazine. So we're back in the results. Who finished runner-up in the very first one in 1967? Kenyan Open. Peter, Peter Thompson. Thompson. Peter Thompson. Wow. Peter Thompson. Yeah. Who won it? Dave Thomas or something? Peter Ellis? Morris Bembridge? I mean, Morris Bembridge. Morris Bembridge might have won it. Might have won it. He won it three times. But, yeah, what an extraordinarily long and rich history. And you, you, you look at a tournament like that, and when you start researching, I mean, the field there's not going to attract any attention this week. I mean, good players. I mean, if you saw if any golfer saw any of the players in that field tee it up and hit a ball live, they'd be staggered they weren't the best golfer in the world. So there's no shortage of yeah. sort of talent. But yeah. That, that's a fabulous story. The Kenyan Open should be a celebrated golf tournament. It's exotic. It's interesting. It's different. Um, but it'll just pass this week as another. This is the danger of Australia wow. co-sanctioning the Australian Open with Europe, Clates, is that you just become another Open yeah. on the treadmill of tournaments that is the European Tour. That's just the, the way it is. So, But, yeah, just interesting you mentioned Thompson, first first ever Kenyan, uh, Kenyan Open, and there it was, P. Thompson, runner-up. But he was the... You know, he was the he was the guy who walked the walk when it came to yeah. the World Tour. He actually famously skipped 
playing Augusta to play the Indian Open, and he Indian played Open. in Japan, he played in Europe, and he, mm-hmm. you know, he he was positively contributing to, and- to to growing the tours around the world by being being the best non-American player and actually going and playing the events. Whereas, you, you, know, you wonder whether the players have a sense of their role in that these days. I mean, most of them have grown up being told, you are the show. The game is there to serve you. You are not there yeah. to serve the yeah. game. Well, most of, them would never heard of, most of them would never heard of Peter Thompson, let alone have any comprehension of what he did and what his motives were. Yeah, no clue. No clue. No. Well, Tiger's no, anyone who ever heard of it. It's, it's, it's staggering. Yeah, Tiger. Little young players know about golf. It's a... It's quite remarkable. Kirsten Rudgley was on the Australian Golf Podcast here yesterday, yeah. mates, and she told the story about how she met Brett Rumford. She's down at the Chipping Green at her club. She's a really good amateur over here, Kirsten Rudgley, um, Shaq. She won an event here anyway. Right. And Brett Rumford, you would have heard of, an amazing sure, sure. of the short game. He's staggeringly good around the greens. She's down there chipping, and you know this guy comes over and sort of talks to her a bit and makes a couple of suggestions about this. And then she goes home and tells her dad, oh, some guy came over and helped me with the chipping. He said, he said, it was probably Brett Rumford. She said, who? <laughs> how, could you, yeah, just, how could you be a golfer in Perth yeah. and not have heard of Brett Rumford? I mean, no, no knock on it, but it's like, how does that happen? You would imagine that Brett Rumford walks into any golf club in Perth and people are like, can you give me a lesson? <laughs> how do I chip? So yeah. there's a cultural thing perhaps that's happened that's generated. Well, I, I don't know. It just always there amazes are. me how, how many people, like well, I say, there's an example, who play golf but have actually no interest in it at all. They just play golf, but they've got no interest in the history or – the architecture or, you know, what's happened in the past or, you know, you can bet she's going to have no clue who, she would have a Varden grip, but it would have no clue who Harry Varden was. Varden was, yeah. yeah. And she would play it like Karen up, but no, have no clue who Alec Russell was or, yeah. you know, or Brent, Brett Rump or, or well, Graham Marshall was one of Australia's greatest players who won at 75 tournaments who grew up playing at Royal Perth, the same course that Brett Rumford was or is a member at and, wouldn't have a clue who they were. And I, I get it's hard to learn a lot of those things in, in, in some ways. Um, but I am kind of shocked always at the lack of curiosity about um, mm. the yeah. past. Uh, and that is a generational thing because Tiger didn't have that. Phil Mickelson didn't have that, um, at least of our most recent uh, all-time greats. But... Um, but you sense now there is kind of like a just a it just just sort of a not a hostility but an antipathy toward anything before two thousand. It's just weird to me because it can only make you a a better, smarter player if you you know something about what's gone on before you. But I just think that's sort of a product of generation and the team approach. And uh, all, I mean, I, I track did man a, now, isn't it? Nobody yeah, knows what Thompson's trackman numbers were. If we did, people might be interested in what Peter yeah. Thompson did. Maybe we should make That's... up what Harry Varden's trackman numbers were, or something. Yeah. And they, you know, but oh. uh, yeah. So that I, because I, I, I approached a lot of players about how they're going to prepare for the old course, and we'll we'll discuss that on another pod. But I, I got some, I got some interesting answers. I, um, I just, it's just, uh, you know, you you have you have Adam Scott who's good, who who has he uses the same local caddy every time he's at the old course to 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 go around with him remind him of lines different things and then you just have a younger generation that really just thinks it's another golf course and they're going to show up there on Monday and the caddy might go out Sunday night and get the info and they'll uh, crack the numbers and um, we'll see how that works out for them will the old course remain undefeated Clates 
Well, I was just, you know, someone was running through what the clubs they thought Bryson would hit and how many holes he could drive. Yeah, if he can play. And they said, well, he can drive it on the first hole. Well, not on the green. He can drive it over the green into the over rough the at green. the back. And, Carry and he can down. drive yep. it on three and yeah, it's bad. Hit it on, drive it on six and eight. seven and eight yeah. and 11 and or eight and 12 and, you know, 18, obviously, and. Yeah, it was a staggering number of holes that I don't remember who it was. It was a player yeah, and who you, was just staggered at, well, here, here are these holes that you can actually reach the green with a driver from the tee. And that's why maybe they don't need to prepare for the golf course because they can just, just overpower all the, you know, I'm sitting there thinking of lines and bunkers and do they know where the, you know, uh, the shell so bunker. Who's more fun? But maybe they just hit it over it all and they don't need to prepare. Uh, so it's another example of of kind of where some of that stuff's lost but uh i mean speed's the only guy i've heard that sounded interested in the a uh, little bit in the history of the place and and taking in the stuff on the walls and the clubhouse and um and they do appreciate that i mean riviera has done a great job with stuff on the walls and neiman pointed that out by the way just a what a class act he is yeah um, he is isn't he he really is was wow very and, just, and, 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 and by the way another guy who who not great on the um right off the course in front of the microphone, sitting down in a press conference, just outstanding. Very, and, you know, still new to English and uh, just wonderfully reflective and and uh, uh, there's some depth there and uh, very exciting uh, to have somebody like that. You just sense his, his quality. And uh, but uh, and he appreciated knowing that he, his picture would be going up on those walls, which was cool, and he had obviously taken that in and... Um, but it is it is just a fascinating thing uh, to to uh, contemplate the lack of curiosity about the yeah. uh, the past. Because if nothing else, it's there's so much great writing about. I mean, the Eternal Summer by Kurt Sampson, which is a great book on the 1960 summer and the U.S. Open at Cherry Hills. And I can't imagine that someone who played golf would not be interested in reading that book. And I mean, you can read it in a day. It's easy. It's an easy read. It's just. To me, not be interested in that sort of stuff is just, it amazes me, but then again, it's, yeah. perhaps I'm the one that's out of touch with the reality of, you know. What were the that's rules that, you wanted though, to bring in? That said, though, architecture's more interest. Well, uh, people have become, we've sort of split it again, it's become binary, isn't it? Uh, my co-host on my other podcast, Adrian Logue, he had a fabulous thing he told me that there are look-downers and look-uppers. And they're, the ones who look down, they're only interested in the ball, the score, the flight, what club is it, what's the yardage. That's what golf is. And then there's the look-uppers who are, look at this amazing place. Who else has walked here before us? And mm. why is that bunker over there? And, you know, if I hit it today, yeah. what would happen to the ball? There's, there's, there, and golf's always done that. It does it. You know, Hogan and Seve, the artists and the engineers, equally fascinated by the game mm. uh, for sort of different reasons. What were your rules about becoming a PGA member? I remember you told me about a couple of times, Clates. If you, you you got to prove every year you can hit a two iron, and you, you know, oh, Thompson was otherwise you're not allowed to be a PGA member. Well, you should know how many opens Peter Thompson won. Or, that's right. You know, well, in Australia, right a, you really should. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Write a 500 word essay on the career of Kel Nagel. Because Tiger Woods knew about the one time yeah. I spoke to Tiger, he knew about. He asked me about Kel Nagel. He he knew about him. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Tiger's much more into that stuff, I think, than a lot of people realise, I suspect. I remember Chip yeah. Ogilvy told us once, it's a shame yeah. that Tiger's got to be so, you know, protective of everything. Because oh, if you sit and talk golf with him, he's got an amazing brain. Just I know, it's crazy. Yeah, like last week, he we, we saw him 
during the press conference, and that was it. Never saw him again. He was <laughs> he was he did do some stuff with Golf Digest. They've been teasing, so we'll see. But but not they're not going to be asking him stuff that uh, would show off what you're talking about. No. Um, well, he answered my question you? very well. Um, like you know, I, I'm on a good streak with him. He he. Uh, now part of it too is he was trying to run out the clock. I think um, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want to answer too many questions, and so and I got the second question, which I wasn't expecting. Because I knew I was going to ask something a little more offbeat, um, so I asked the follow up. Because he he said a bunch of stuff about his accident, and he didn't really say if he'd made any progress. So I at least asked about that. And then I, I'm doing this piece about all the good Southern California players right now, and and it worked out well with some of his comments before that. And he went off. I mean, he started listing. I thought he was going to list every course in Southern California for a while, and I'm I'm sitting there. But everybody afterward went, "Oh, that was such an interesting answer." Why doesn't he do that more often? I'm like, well, you know, I mean. Why don't you ask him occasionally? Too? Ask him an interesting <laughs> question. <laughs> Part of it's that. Part of it's that. Um, for sure, he doesn't get great questions. And it's why I've done well with him in recent years, because he's figured out I'm not trying to stump him or something. I want a good golf answer. I want to hear what he knows. Yeah. And uh, so he knows, he knows the room well that way. But, yeah, he doesn't get great questions. But still – you know, Nicholas at his tournament sits around and knows. Like this year's the 25th. I don't want to bitch about Tiger, but 25th anniversary of the 97 Masters. I mean, come on down. There's some. There's writers here. Guys came from the UK. Like nobody even dared to say, "Hey, you know, what if we just got about the the, the ten of you that really cover golf and have a little mini scrum with him, and and he can get all that Masters stuff out of the way with some of you. You know, it's just it that that's just not going to be something he'll do." You know, he just doesn't do it for whatever reason. Nicholas, well, of course, will sit there and give you a five-minute right. answer and then go, did you get what you needed? <laughs> you know, like, but hasn't the knock-on Tiger always been – certainly his relationship with the press, Jeff, growing up in a different era to Nicholas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part that, of it. That, oh. that, that that's not going to happen. It's always been someone. And he's always felt that we've leached off him. People who've written yeah, books about him and, and made biggest, money. and the, the, yeah. He's always hated that. You know? Yeah, and, and it's just silly because if you look at the, uh, the, the, the people you're talking about, none, none of those people is, uh, is, has gotten rich off of him. And there's none of them. And that's what's kind of lame. And then none of us were the ones doing late-night <laughs> comedy jokes about his, uh, his, his foibles. So that's what's weird about it. Um, but, uh, but he was, you know, he was good in his press conference, and uh, I don't know, you know, what's going on with his body, but uh, I think but, he, Well, to I bring it back around, he, he touched on distance, Jeff, which kind of went unnoticed. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, a, I couldn't get an answer out of anybody exactly what's coming, but I think we got our, we got our tell in the broadcast, and you guys either saw, saw it or you saw the coverage that, you know, Faldo brought up the driver face and then Tiger came back in with, you know, and the ball too. So I, th- I think that's what we're looking at is a change in the rules for, for driver face. It sounds like the weight of the ball, which is really interesting because now I'm going to have to go back and read all my Max Bear, you know, because Max Bear wrote mm-hmm. about playing the floater ball. The floaters, yeah. When nobody else would play it, and he kept playing it to prove his point. And so it sounds like weight uh, is is... But again, I'm, I don't know, but just reading some of the the stuff between the lines, that's where it sounds like it's going. Um, and then that would that would possibly get the ball moving more. But what that does to the average guy, and then we get into the, you know where it goes. It's the, oh, you're, you're screwing the average golfer thing. So. Honestly, Jeff, the, the sport of golf will be the sport of listening to people 
bitching about when it happens, and it'll be <laughs> the most joyous thing that's happened in the last 10 years, frankly. Yeah. The bitching will be off the charts with people. You can imagine the pros. I mean, good Lord. Because, um, of course... Yeah, maybe. I think there might be more Patrick Cantlay's now than you think. I mean, that answer he gave was wonderful, and and that 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 this increase of interest in architecture that we're seeing, I think, Clates, you, I would, I would hope you're seeing it down there. Um, I mean, just, you know, I, I get requests almost every day now for one of my books because they're too expensive, and and like I'm buying all other golf books that used to be too expensive for ten bucks online. Um, so there is an interest in architecture and more players. Uh, I've seen somebody, you know, Zach Blair and people like that. Have, they've taken, like, wow, there is something more to like knowing something about these courses we're playing. So I, I don't know, but again, I, I think it just takes one or two players, the wrong players, to complain, and the thing could get derailed. So we'll see. Quite, because of course the small ball was relatively heavier than the big ball, because they weighed the same, but it was smaller, so relatively it was heavier. Correct? Is that right? Uh, so they're looking at. I don't know, but that's kind of what I think. Effectively doing what the you know when, when we Mike switched Lott. to the big ball and all lost twenty five yards, it was because we were playing a relatively a ball that was lighter or less dense or didn't go through the wind. Right. All those things, but but given they weighed the same, but one was smaller, they're not clearly it was going to perform better, go further, be you easier to play in the wind. It'll move. I mean, that's the thing. The ball just more affected by the wind. You saw it. I'm sure you saw it at the Vic Open. Well, you've seen it. Just all the golf you've seen lately, Clates, and I saw it last week. You forget when you watch them how straight it goes, even when they miss it. It just tusks. I remember (laughs) remember when we first started to play the big ball in Australia, which we'd never played it. And it was amazing how much more difficult it was to play within the wind. It would go up in the air and slice, and you really had to learn to you know, play the ball better in the wind and hit it better. And that's that's what created that great generation of European players. Was they that never would have come about if they'd continued to play with the small ball. That's an interesting take. I never thought yeah. about that. That's but, um, an interesting take, Clay. Yeah, you know, mm. we all had to learn to play with the big ball, and it made us better players because it was harder to play with. You could get away with so much more with the small ball, but the modern ball now plays like the small Serlin ball used to. It just mm. rips through the wind. It doesn't move. It's yeah. You know, so, so the change is going to be the same as the one we went, or similar to the one we went through when we all had to play a. Well, we started off with it. The only big ball you could get in Australia was a hot dot or a top flight, which was a solid. Or the hot dot was a wound Serlin ball. The top flight was obviously a solid ball. But the modern ball plays like a top flight used to, really. Yeah, yeah. And but then we like switched. A- to the, and then Titleist came out here, and so so for the first time ever, you could buy a Pro Trads Titleist, which was a dreadful ball in the wind. <laughs> so we all switched. The, so we all switched to the Low Trads Titleist, which was a really good ball. And then the DDH came out, which was even better in the wind again. And, and then the companies got on top of making balls that would perform well in the wind. It's a, it is a staggering scientific achievement, the golf ball, when you think about it and yeah. its evolution. It, oh it hasn't gosh. been a great thing for the game yeah. as we all go on about, but it's an amazing achievement what that tiny little thing can do yeah. and what they've yeah. made it capable of doing. It's extraordinary. Well, I listened to that uh, podcast on Penfold yesterday. Is it, is it the Golf Historian's podcast yeah. or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, Connor, on the, Connor Lewis. Pen, yeah, on the Penfold company, which was in 1932, the golf, the Penfold ball was a dollar. It was it was the best ball in golf by the sounds of it. It was a dollar. 
And he said the equivalent price now, $19. Wow. For one ball. One ball was the equivalent price was $19,022. So like a feather, basically. And they were the dominant ball company. I mean, they were a Mm. huge company that, because he was killed coming back from America on a boat in the war, torpedoed by a German submarine. And then um, I'm only halfway through it, but you know, they're talking <laughs> so you about how you don't, you don't know the you don't know how it ends. Okay, <laughs> um, no about Ben the Folds de- Pro V1. I don't want to ruin about the, the demise of the company, but I mean that was an incredibly successful company for such a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, McGregor, well, Logan, I, been a lot of them. The other Ball thing I thought yeah. about, yeah, with the yeah, with the weight cool. issue, is that that would still allow companies to innovate on their on on. Just innovate, do whatever they do, and and sell whatever they're doing. So I don't know, and I think, I guess in theory that would be a a more enforceable thing too. You can weigh the ball, weigh it, yeah, Um, Yeah. because that's what I on the tee. That's where they all go to is well, how are you going to enforce these things? And so I we don't think we we think about the course, the pros, the people around the game think about the um, how they're going to enforce it and and prevent. Uh, somebody from working around the rules, which is great. That's their job to, to think that way. Uh, so I, I think weight could be another component of that. Uh, the one way I did have some progress with uh, in discussing with Jay, and, and it was one of his lieutenants was there, uh, was I made the case, which I've made on the pod before, that Tiger and Phil have experienced uh, more dramatic change in equipment during the course of their their careers than any players in the history of the game from what they started with to what the what's being used now and and then also launch monitors as well thrown in there and uh he he goes and i he said you need to write that and i said well it's a tough topic for those guys well phil's not going to talk to me now but um uh it's a tough one to talk about because they could sound like they're bitter or they're begrudging that's right and it's up, and it's also hard to quantify. With uh, Shotlink started in two thousand three, and anyway, it's just a hard thing to measure. But we know they've had to make the biggest adjustments of any two all-time greats. And uh, he thought that was really fascinating. And I said it speaks to their greatness and why they're different. But uh, I, I wonder now uh, how many players uh, could make that adjustment. Yeah, I think there are certain guys who obviously could. They're just they're just good at what they they're just not good. They're unbelievably good at what they do. They're all time great type players, but there are plenty more I don't think who could adjust. So that's going to be another big topic in all this is how people adjust to whatever they do do, and the manufacturers will probably make it more dramatic than it needs to be. And uh, Tiger went from playing yeah, Tiger went from playing with good clubs to great clubs. Nelson and Hogan went from playing with hickory shafts, and right. I mean, that, right. that, that was a that was a big change too to go from hickory to steel. Surely that was just it was, but, it, but then once they were in their prime, nothing really changed. Nothing that changed dramatically. No, no, you're right. that's, no, I guess that's what I'm at. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. Nothing changed from the mid '30s to the right. The 80s, with Jones, you know, I mean, the, Jones yeah, retired yeah. right when it started to change, yeah. and I mean, so the ball I got better. But, yeah, I mean. Miller won the 73 US Open with a set of clubs made in 1941. Yeah. 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 And Nicholas played, we've talked, the same three wood. Yeah, and and, three, uh, yeah. and by really the way, Phil played that. some real junk in the middle of his career, and Tiger played some <laughs> some Nike Phil stuff. Was play, that Phil was playing Yonix, right? Yonix, yeah. Him, that was, him and Montgomery. 
Hey, Ooh, what a, <laughs> there's a couple of soldiers to send See, out Marty, and sell the, sell the gear. <laughs> but Marnie strikes me as one of those people who could adjust to... He, well, absolutely. He'd just he'd figure it out. Right now, he'd just hit it. Yeah, that's right. He'd he'd swing the way he he just figure it out. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. There's people like that you just know the way they swing the club, their attitude, uh, their talent. They'll figure it out. There are other ones I don't know. So, yeah. um, But that said, green books are gone. Nobody missed them. Uh, yeah. the, the, you know, Barely a guy, murmur, Shaq. Barely a murmur about the great no, reality. It, just, you know, it just happened. It's done. Dusted. I think an, enough good players, this is the, to my point, enough good players said, hey, that's a skill. Yeah. That makes you better. Uh, you should be able to uh, uh, differentiate yourself if you're good at reading greens, or you and your caddy have a good rapport, or yeah. you know you have a situation where you, when your caddy comes in, you know you've read it wrong, and whatever that is, that dynamic, they've uh, somehow like, they got an appreciation for what that is to the game, and then enough of them obviously have stood there and watched some bozo, you know, looking at their little their little yeah. cheat sheet in front of their face and how dumb it looks, and they probably turned to look at the crowd and <laughs> realized. And so, yeah, that thing just went away fast. The, the, the driver length one, I could see that coming back as a little bit of a problem because uh, there's a case that it discriminates against a tall person. Um, mm. And it's, there's a case that it's like the 64-degree wedge, that if you can hit a 48-inch driver, uh, mm. more power to you. Yeah, kind of. I can, I can see that, perhaps. But. So maybe that one will get revisited if this equipment yeah, the, the ball is the common. I don't like the is, idea that we discriminate against someone. No, uh, which is why the ball is the obvious and most sensible place of to course. look. Uh, of course. In some ways, yeah. it might be the most difficult, but it's the obvious and sensible place. Yeah. Uh, this is the one thing that everybody has to use. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's the way That's well, the way to do it. Yeah. The only person the 48-inch driver is discriminating against right now is Brooke Henderson. Right, Brooke Henderson. He's the only one who the, uses um, it. But but the, the the tall guy, excuse me, <coughs> I'm forgetting his name from South Africa, who just played in the in the uh, Hope, who hits at four. Oh, the guy who hits at four hundred. Yeah. He's six. Mm. Uh, six eight. Is he six seven no, or six nine? nine. No, Whatever. He's tall. Anyway, I mean that you know that's a that, but it's still a thing. You don't want to. Um, no. You don't want to. Uh, if it's affecting a small number, it seems kind of silly. So and and of course it's obnoxious because it didn't apply to the putter. So <laughs> that's the real. <laughs> that's true. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and by the way, Adam Scott is putting beautifully right now. If he could find a, a wedge around the green, uh, he'll be dangerous in Augusta. His chipping and putting, or his chipping and short game recovery work was horrendous, but his putting was beautiful. Uh, every time I looked, he was making a putt. It was amazing. So, and he finally hmm. dropped the base sweater. Uh, Still looks ridiculous. The long putt. Oh, it looks awful. It? Yeah, and again, it, lo- it, it looks so much worse than a guy. Wanting to play a driver that long, but a putter that length, anyway. Yeah. The only way you could make Adam Scott look a buffoon is to put a long putter in his hands, and he does it to himself. Yeah. In every other way, he's perfect. It's, it's, yeah. He's only yeah. the only chink in the armor. We better let Clay's go. He's got to get yeah, his own beach as well. Right. Yeah, indeed. Uh, great to catch up with you two, gents. Join it on. Thank you very Rod. much, Shaq. Thank you, Rod. And Clay's, you wait your turn. Good to have you aboard too, mate. Thank you. Thank you, Rod. And, Although uh, it won't translate in a podcast, you can see I'm wearing my Adam Scott uni coat. Yeah, I see you wore beige and, and salute beige to uh, Adam's jumper. now retired Uniqlo beige sweater, which was <laughs> discounted. Which was cashmere Uniqlo, which was discounted at the local Uniqlo store for ninety nine dollars the other day. So I thought I'll. That is it. actually a Uniqlo jumper, is it that you're it's wearing? A Uniqlo yeah. cashmere jumper, wow. same colours for ninety nine bucks. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, Adam. Which is Adam. I'm, I'm I'm sure there's very underpaid labour involved in that. Yeah, no doubt. So no perhaps doubt. I shouldn't be supporting. Meh. Anyway, 
Either way. Don't open that can of worms at the end there's, of the there's show. There's a bit we'll much waterbaddism yeah. going on at the moment. But. We'll be back for episode 120 at some point in the not too distant future here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a talk and golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.